Hello, and welcome to the Federal Contracting Made Easy podcast, where we take the complex world of government contracting and break it into simple steps that any small business owner can master. Now, let me introduce your host, Nancy Byerly. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the wonderful world of government contracting, otherwise known as Federal Contracting Made Easy. I'm your host, Nancy. Today, we're just having a chat in my office. There's some things that are happening, some emails I'm getting, some questions I've gotten over the course of the last year that I would like to address. And those are in no particular order. When you want to become a government contractor, you really need to have resources in place. And these resources are the capability to hire a government contractor employee. You need an employee experienced in government contracting. Why? Because they know the ins and outs and they're going to be very valuable to you and loyal to you because you are their boss and you are putting food on their table more so than a firm that you used to do business with or a competitor. Am I saying they're going to rip you off? No, I'm just saying that you, by hiring an employee of your own, they can show you the ropes. Number two, you need to have working capital. If you win a contract, you need to have working capital. On average, most small businesses that have some experience in government contracting are going to have a win ratio of one out of every 10 contracts. So if they're going to win one contract for every 10 contracts that they bid on, that's pretty much standard for what I've seen in my years of working. Some that are just starting and you're trying to get your first contract with no government contracting experience, it may be 1 in 30. You've got to have patience to be a government contractor. Patience to learn the government lingo. Patience not to be so caught up in it. And it can take years before you get your first contract. That's what everybody does not understand. It can take years. Competing against businesses that have experience, more experience than you, in the government contracting. So you've got to take your proposal and turn it into a federal government proposal. You've got to write the lingo of the government, not the commercial lingo, the lingo of the government. By hiring an employee that is experienced in government contracting, they're going to know these things and they're going to know how to word the documents, that proposal that you're going to submit. You have to have bonding. For construction firms, the number one limiting factor I have seen throughout my tenure with SBA has been in bonding. Bonding is the most limiting factor. So how do you get more bonding? Well, you've got to have more money in the bank. The more money in the bank or the more money you have sitting around, the larger the bonding capacity you're going to have. Makes sense. You've got to have the time to be able to find the opportunities to seek. If you don't have the time to go out and look for opportunities, and I had a client just tell me that yesterday, I want to hire you. I don't have the time to go look for opportunities. And it's like, how are you going to write your proposal if you don't have the time for, for doing those? So you need to have the time to be able to spend indigently working. This is my ideal scenario for a person that wants to do government contracting. They've been working in in the commercial sector for years. They're well established. They have a few employees in place. They have somebody that they trust that they can turn over and they can manage the commercial side. 
This allows you an opportunity to hire an experienced employee in government contracting and work with them and have them educate you and go out and start finding these opportunities. I'll tell you a little secret. When you're working with contractors and contracting officer technical representatives and the end users, the better job you do, the more likely they're going to want you back. And they're going to tell you about opportunities they have coming down the pike that you can now know that this is an opportunity. And if you're 8A, you can go ahead and contract your business opportunity specialist and try to get that set aside for you. If you're not 8A, well, then you know this is coming ahead of time. You can start building your team and getting things ready so that you can bid on the opportunity once it is released. The other thing I would like to talk to you about is everybody thinks they need to have a partner in place. You don't need to have a partner in place. If you hire a good employee that is experienced in government contracting, you don't need to hire a contractor or you don't need to have a partner necessarily available to you. Partnerships are risky. They're risky for two folds. Every business is in it for themselves. They're there to make money. If they can manipulate a small business, then they're going to manipulate a small business. Am I saying that every business out there wants to manipulate you? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you need to have your ducks in a row and you can evaluate and see how well you think this relationship is going to work. I can tell you I've had businesses think, oh yeah, this is going to work. This is going to be really beneficial to me. They get into it and then they're like, well, this isn't working. But it's your business and your business decision. You're going to be stuck by those decisions you make. I would always tell everybody, start a small contract together. Have them give you, have them as a prime contractor, if they have experience, have them issue you a subcontract and let you work on that subcontract. Why? By working on that subcontract, you're going to gain experience in government contracting. You can claim that in your SAM profile. Two, you're going to become familiar with all the government lingo. Three, you're going to have to do probably do certified payrolls. As a result of doing certified payrolls, you're going to understand that process. Four, you're going to start building relationships with the con with the maybe with the contracting officer definitely with the contracting officer's technical representative you're going to build relationships with the end users that's going to lead into more contracts down the road that is why you need to evaluate those relationships and become a subcontractor first now after you tested it on a small contract and everything seems to feel good then you can go ahead and or you can go ahead and do a joint venture. I would suggest a joint venture next. Why a joint venture? Well, the joint venture for a couple of reasons. One, the joint venture entity in itself provides more protection to the prime contractor than it does the business partner. It is built that way. Go look at 13 CFR for whatever set aside program you're in. Look at the way that joint venture agreement is written. It is written to the benefit of that particular person. For an 8A firm, it's written to the benefit of the 8A. Almost exclusively where a lot of prime contractors don't want to do business with 8A because they know that it's, it's written exclusively for them. Now, if your contractor that you want to do business with wants to say, okay, I'll agree to this joint venture agreement, but we're going to have a side agreement that changes that joint venture agreement, that's a warning flag to me. 
you want to watch out for warning flags. If they decide, oh, we're going to have this oral agreement, any oral agreement with nothing in writing to me is a red flag, period. Corrupted. So we're going to have to end this now, and we'll continue on with the next episode. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review the podcast and the YouTube channel. Please also remember to leave comments. I really appreciate you. I appreciate all those that have recently subscribed. And as always, until next time, be safe.